0: From Accord, this is From Vendorship to Partnership, a show where we dive into the realities of scaling startups. This season, Accord CEO, Ross Rich, chats with the next generation of startup founders about the ups and downs of signing their first customers while building a repeatable, collaborative sales process. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our next session of Founder's Journey. Today, we have an exciting one. We're joined by Brian Stevenson from Reprise, and I'll let him jump in
1: and introduce himself. Hey, I'm Brian. I'm the co-CEO of Reprise. Um, just a, a quick bit about me and sort of my bio. Um, so I've been doing Reprise for about a year and a half. Before that, I was the... Uh, like. CIO at uh Catalan, where I ran the build side of the house, which is you know design, product, and engineering. My background is primarily in engineering. So before that, I co-founded a company called Insight Squared, where I was a CTO, ran engineering there for a lot of years, uh, ran a consulting company in New York City for a couple of years, uh, ran a couple of startups before that this, as the head of engineering. And I spent five years at Akamai sort of in the beginning of my, uh, of my career.
0: Awesome. Well, it blends right into the next question, which is, how did you go from that to founding Reprise? Would love to hear about the insights, no pun intended, that led to you starting Reprise and, and kind of you know wanting to solve this problem.
1: Yeah, so Reprise is kind of the culmination of like two decades of struggling with the exact same problem, which is there's a disconnect between the tools you need to sell product and what you need to satisfy your customers. And hmm. over and over and over again, I've been asked like, Hey, build a demo environment. And the answer is sort of changed over time, but generally it's take your production environment, clone it, mm-hmm. stick a new database underneath it and you got a demo environment. And uh, and at the end of the day, it kind of works. It's expensive to maintain, it's kind of a pain in the butt to like to uh, to change the the story. Um, it breaks a lot. It breaks because, like, it's a synthetic data for the most part. Either using real data and anonymizing it, you're using synthetic data. Either way, when you add new features, it has to play with that data in the right way. Mm-hmm. And every single salesperson you ever talk to has a horror story where the demo went down during the uh, during the meeting. So generally, I'm the one that gets yelled at during those during those things. So um, when you actually though separate it a little bit, it's a little bit different than uh, than a demo. When people are like doing a demo with you, they're not looking for uh, proof that the software exists what they're looking yes. for is sort of an introduction to the product so that they can you can reach those you know aha moments or the the oh yeah that makes sense now I get it uh moments with the customer and a lot of the times the uh, the actual product isn't the right tool for managing that yes and so I've gone through this rigmarole like four times and uh, eventually it just decided there has to be a better way so that sort of got the idea idea machine working and uh, and that's where reprice came from I love it. It's, it's so
0: funny, the timing of this, because we just went through a very similar exercise. I actually got a demo for a from one of your AEs. Um, and we were kind of switching from this more tops down sales led motion to leading with a product with a free trial. And I was talking to our CTO, Wayne, I was like, hey, can you just like, yeah. Kind of like clone our app and then do this thing and like spin up all this data. And he's like, but the effort, the time, then we have to maintain both of them and all stuff. I'm like, oh, wow. I never really thought about that. Like it seems so simple, right? It's just like you just have this workspace that's the same thing and you click through it, right? But it's yeah. not. And, and you hit the nail on the head where the goal isn't the same. It's not, did you actually build this software and how do all the features work? It's, what is the point of this? It's on these introductory, exam- So yeah, it totally, totally makes sense. Um, and uh, yeah, I think what you're doing is, is awesome. So jumping into some of the go-to-market stuff, um, you know, you have experience building companies, businesses, especially on the technical side, but how did you approach winning your first 10
1: customers at reprise? Um, yeah, I'm curious to hear that story. So uh, I think the luxury of doing this a couple of times is you you sort of choose different objectives early stage. And one of the most important objectives we had initially wasn't about getting revenue. And fundraising gets a little bit easier once you've done it a couple of times. What really was important is whether or not we had that like irresistible product market fit. And uh, you can get revenue from your friends. It's not hard. You ask them for a favor, they maybe will buy your software and they'll use you as like a mini consultant. And you can, you can do that up to 10 times. You'll be fine. What you really need though, is customers are going to be super honest with you that really help you identify product market fit. So we Mm -hmm. went after a couple of our friends and sort of made them run us through the ringer. Is this really useful to you? Why would you pay for it? Pay for it do all of the hard things. And so we weren't really looking for our first 10 customers in the same like traditional business building way. We were yes. just using it as like a massive test for whether or not uh, people actually needed what we were building. So um, so I- I'll be honest, like we didn't even spend a ton of time in the first year looking for customers. We just sort of had conversations and we called them launch partners. Uh, that was from Rudina yeah. Glasswing gave us that, um, that name. And it was perfect. It let us really figure out what was the salient, uh, salient parts of our product for the, for the market. And uh, it really helped us accelerate in, the, in sort of the like after eight months. I love
0: that framing and wish I could go back and, and, and use that term. It's such a better way of thinking about this first customers because you're right. It's not about the money at the beginning. It's not like how you're going to fund your business, especially if, you're raised, if the plan is to, to raise venture capital they're really launch partners and that's like such a better way of, of looking at that relationship. You know, you kind of like talk about like beta customers, whatever. It's like, it's kind of like this negative connotation of it in a way of the product, but like, yeah, launch partners are helping you get to this point um, and really building together. So I love, I love that.
1: What, one thing to add to that yeah. is uh, is we in SaaS business, especially in like the sort of SaaS sales space, churn is the worst enemy of everything, right? So you yeah. hear all of these like churn's going to kill you and it's true churn will kill you but by thinking of them as launch partners you can churn your launch partners like if it turns out that your fault you you promised them something that ultimately wasn't deliverable or three of your customers went one direction one went the other you might lose a launch partner and by having it sort of separated out as sort of this like experimentation stage uh you give yourself a little bit more permission to basically say like hey we're looking to find product market fit and a business in in these conversations not necessarily make you happy in perpetuity, but we'll like happily work as hard as we can to make you successful. Totally, no, that's that's a great add on. Um,
0: awesome, and then yeah, going to you know you we were just talking about finding this like intense product market fit. How did you think about that? You know, I think some people have the more like intuitive notion of it. Like we just saw these changes, and we you know we felt this. Some people are like very quantifiable. I know uh, the superhuman team has done like a lot about. Um, written a lot about that, um, more of the quantified
1: aspect. How did you think about it at uh, at Reprise? So I think B2B and B2C are fundamentally different in the way you find product market fit. There's a viral coefficient of B2C that's like hard to shake. And there's a lot of like proof points that happen relatively quickly. Like I think Superhuman had like 20,000 people looking to sign up after like one email blast. So like, you know, they had an answer to, to how to do that test. I think for B2B, especially at early stage, you have a different sort of, emotional reaction how well you jive with the person you're talking to whether or not you both foresee a future that looks a certain way and the product market fit usually your product is way more nascent than your your you know idealization around the product is so sell that sell where you want the product to go and see Mm -hmm. if you can bring people on your journey it's almost a little dogmatic in that sense Um, but if you paint a picture of a world that that you anticipate building Uh, Help other people understand what your world looks like and see if they're interested in your journey. Um, And so that's your first point. Like, it's not that's not the full definition of product market fit. But like, that's the initial stage when it when you're V zero, when you're deciding whether or not you should put any energy into a company. That's the first one. Do people jump out of their seat when they hear it? Um, Because anything less than jump out of their seat is probably not good enough, especially at this stage. The yeah. next stage is putting it in front of people and seeing how much, how they engage with it. Do they need it? Does it like change the way that they do their job in some fundamental way that they're going to quickly need instead of just want, or instead of feel like a nice to have. Um, mm-hmm. And there's tons of examples, like Dooley's, like a perfect example of like a company that's like, once you use it for a little while, you never want to go back to Salesforce. Uh, so um, in some ways, that's the, that's the test of product market fit. In an earlier stage, it's just way more amorphous. You just you can't really tell, but enough experience. You've seen it a couple of times and you're like, okay, no, that's, that's real need. That's not just fake need. And that's like really interested in what we're building, not just sort of being nice as a friend.
0: Totally. Um, which, yeah, that's an interesting thing. And I think at the very beginning, we talked about that like idea of product market fit as like problem market fit. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, when we're talking about kind of solution, like we're talking about this problem and we're sharing with them the solution. Yes, maybe we haven't built it out to the point that people are going to use jump in. It's like the smoothest on all that kind of stuff. But like, are people stoked and they're going to spend time with you professionally on this versus whatever else they could be doing? So yeah, I totally agree. You need that separation, especially when you go build your first version, which is going to be worse than the idea that you're pitching. Um, yeah. But when you get to market, how do you think about... Um, When's that point to turn it on? Like I know you guys have hired a ton of reps, like all this kind of, you know, doing more yeah. marketing. When when's that difference between okay, we're having these conversations, building interest, building that base category, et cetera, and
1: really starting to sell the thing in, in terms of building yeah. a product, yeah. it's a that's a super hard question. There's a point where some of this is blind faith, like just being honest, like you yeah. jump and then you you look around and see whether or not there's a place to land. Uh so, so there's some of it's that. Um, But I think more to the point is that when you start making calls to people you don't know and you're able to sort of convince them that your product is worth investigation, at least worth trialing. Um, So you can be pretty liberal in your trials early stage, get people in, get people using it, solicit feedback from every person that'll listen to you. The beginning stage, don't do that. Too many voices and it just makes rock soup. Um, You instead wanted to sort of like, keep a couple in the, at the beginning. But once you get to the certain point, just start soliciting a ton of input. And yeah. uh, a lot of those will turn into um, turn into leads if, they're, if your product's good enough. And if it's not good enough, they're just doing you favors of taking conversations. So uh, if you get into a conversation with somebody and you say like, hey, look at my technology, is it interesting to you? And they're like, how do I buy? Here's money. You know, you, you probably have product market fit. Um, yeah. And if you don't, you probably should try to figure out how to sell it better to those early lead conversations um, or those intros for advice, uh, those advice intros, I guess, uh, see how you can convert those into more excited, um, customers or, and usually it has to do with the bridge between what they understand of your product and, and what the product actually is.
0: Totally. And, and I like that point where you're both working on the product and getting feedback, but you're also figuring out how to sell it and to have those conversations. And both of those, I think you need to do at the same time. Um, awesome. So where are you all at today? I would love to hear a bit more about reprise, like, you know what's What's next? Where are you at? Um, and I know you guys have a very clear picture on the
1: future of, of this space. So um, yeah, I would love to hear about it. Um, so, I mean, where we're at today. So we're growing super quick. We're continuing to evolve our products. We have a ton of awesome new features coming out relatively soon. Um, so tons of work on the product, building out the sales organization, which is one of those things that I think a lot of um, startups Starts wait till they're a little bit too late. It's good to have a mature organization and sales sort of evolving as the rest of the organization evolves. Um, because just like everything, it takes a bunch of time for you to figure out how to get it right and, uh, and get all the pieces out there. Um, same thing with marketing. Like you can't do this stuff too early. It's really important to sort of start investing, even in a little amount, um, as early as possible. So those are the big things. You know, we're putting in all the systems. We're hiring to fill out the fill out the roles. Um, and so I think that's going to be the primary focus for the next six months. Um after that, I think it's just a matter of like duplicate what we've been doing and uh, and keep going. We have ideas for other product lines uh, as well. So, and I think that that's that's what growth looks like. Growth looks like you know growing in every way. Headcount is probably the most uh, most important way to grow, but making sure you have the right people doing the right things is just generally going to be the way a startup wins versus versus loses.
0: Totally. And are you also seeing this crazy shift in? Um in the market in terms of hiring now? I know a lot of people i have been chatting with a lot of folks. We've had some, you know, open roles. It was like, oh, wow, like this is where the market is in terms of these like crazy round series BCD companies kind of moving up expectations around salary.
1: And yeah, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that as a company that's hiring a ton as well. You know, I think that like, Good talent has always been competitive. This is not like one of those like weird things. Yeah. The price has always been competitive as well. Um, one thing that's always worth remembering is that salaries go up with inflation and like generally where you were when you started your career and where everybody is now are probably going to be off by a factor of two at least. Uh, just because you know I, I, I've been working for 20 years, that's like a lot of compounded interest there. So I think one of the things is that you get a sticker, get sticker shock a little bit. But practically, I think that the people are paid our teams paid well um, and I think generally well, I just
0: mean in general like have you, so you haven't noticed a, like a significant shift in the last let's say like six to nine months
1: versus a year or two ago oh so we only had seven employees at the beginning of the year so uh, okay so I, I guess't if I've experienced this us. yeah so much um, but especially at this company uh, but yeah I, I think generally um, I you're always hearing rumbles especially when the economy's been this strong for this long folks are pretty well seated and Part of it is that the valuations are high. Part of it is also that we haven't seen an economic downturn, which is great for everyone. Uh, But it also means that there's a lot of places for people to be working right now, uh, more than there typically are. And since that's sort of lay of the land, it's really good for startups, to be honest, because we have less of a responsibility to hire 1,000 people or 2,000 people to be successful. So anytime you can sort of scale down some of the expectations... Um, You can win. The other thing is that we've moved more towards a remote first workforce, which allows you to have more of a geographic footprint when you're hiring, which also also helps startups um, a lot more. So
0: easy to think about that used to the Venn diagram people you could hire was like that city or like people that would commute to that office. It's like wild. But yeah, uh, awesome to wrap up here. My personal favorite question. This may be a bit different for you. I don't know if this would have actually changed significantly. Hopefully it has. Going back to day one of Reprise, you know, pretty recent, is there any single piece of advice that you would give yourself that would be pretty impactful to, to the experience so far?
1: So I'm going to cheat and not 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 give the answer to that question because yeah. I, I think I've done, it. done it a I, few times. <laughs> I've, and also, I'm pretty happy with this one. I started a startup in 2002 that was effectively Dropbox, like, Went through the whole rigmarole. Effectively, Dropbox. It was, it was, it was interesting and fun. Had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and we launched. And uh, and it was me and my co co-founder who were making pretty good salaries at our software engineering jobs. And in the first month, we sold 500 subscriptions at ten dollars a month. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we said, ah, "You know what? I guess it's not going to be able to pay our salary, so let's shut it down." Um, <laughs> So no advertising, 500 people, all <laughs> viral. Uh, and uh, and like I don't look back at like, oh my God, that was my one chance. Like we, we make our own uh, luck to some degree. Uh, not to say that isn't a huge part of it, um, but uh, I'd probably go back and tell that version of Brian that, uh, that when you're looking at success or failure, look at it against the milestone you're looking to set for yourself and be really honest whether or not you have a venture backable startup. And if you do, recognize that your initial traction are tools for leveraging sale of equity for additional acceleration. And that I think would have been, would have made enough sense to me back then that I would have been like, oh, maybe 500 subscriptions with no marketing is probably pretty good for a single month entry into what, and of course it was 500 paying $10 a month. It was, it was real money. Like, let's be honest, like 5,000, uh, MRR and the, in the first month, yeah, like, that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I didn't see it at that point. So that would be the advice I give myself. It's a
0: pretty good piece of advice for uh, for young Brian, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but awesome, appreciate you taking the time. Any way, if if folks wanted to
1: get in touch with you, what's the best uh, CTA there? The CTA the best CTA is to find me on LinkedIn Connect. Let me know what you think uh, about any of this. I'm uh, happy to chat. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Brian.
0: You're listening to Accords from Vendorship to Partnership, where we dive into building startups, signing customers, and scaling collaborative, repeatable sales processes. For more episodes like this, make sure to subscribe.
1: Thanks for listening.